The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present this recording from Saver 2013 in New York City. This recording is from a Saturday, June 15th. Collaboration Nation with Stone Brewing Company, featuring Greg Cook from Stone Brewing Company and Janet Fletcher from the San Francisco Chronicle. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Carolyn Smigalski, the Beer Fox. I'm the editor of Beer and Brewing at Bella Online, the voice of women on the internet. I'm also the editor of Society, Culture, and Health at BeerLovers.com. I write for a number of magazines and features and columns for Philly Beer Scene Magazine and for the Beer Connoisseur and a few others. And I am the founder of the Philly Beer Geek Competition. We're here tonight um, with Saver. We want to thank you for attending Saver and for being at our salon this evening. The Saver is brought to you by the Brewers Association, which is the trade association for craft brewers nationwide. We'd like to remind you to please turn off your cell phones for the duration of this salon. And we want to thank our many supporters, including Manhattan Beer Distributors and Spiegelow. And we also want, to, want you to know that these salons are being recorded by craftbeerradio.com and will be available at craftbeer.com shortly after the event. Our presentation this evening is Collaboration Nation with Stone Brewing Company featuring Greg Cook and Janet Fletcher. Janet Fletcher comes to us from the San Francisco Chronicle. She is the co-author or author of more than two dozen books. And she is, um, this includes Cheese and Beer, Cheese and Wine, and the Cheese Course. She writes a weekly cheese column for the San Francisco Chronicle, and she writes the Cheese Focus column for Specialty Foods Magazine. She's the recipient of three James Beard Awards, very prestigious two cookbook awards from the International Association of Culinary Professionals and an IACP Burt Green Award. Her writing has appeared in numerous magazines across the country, including Sever, Bon Appetit, Fine Cooking, and Food and Wine. She teaches beer appreciation across the country, but she drinks most of her beer in the Napa Valley. Greg Cook is the co-founder and CEO of Stone Brewing Company since starting his company with Steve Wagner in 1996. Greg has led Stone to become one of the fastest growing and highest rated breweries in the world with no smoke and mirrors. No smoke and mirrors. It's now the 10th largest craft brewery in the United States and was twice named all-time top brewery on planet Earth from Beer Advocate magazine. They own the... Well, you could, huh? <laughs> All-time. Uh, he owns the beautiful farm-to-table restaurant in Escondido, California, known as Stone Brewing World Bistro and Gardens, also Stone Catering, Stone Distributing, Stone Farms, maybe Stoned. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. 
Ah. <laughs> He's co-authored two books, The Craft of Stone Brewing Company and The Brewer's Apprentice. And he was named the 2012 Most Admired CEO by San Diego Business Journal. I'd like to present Greg Cook and Janet Fletcher. Okay, I think I'm gonna lead it off here. I feel like I'm with beer royalty here. This is a real honor to be with Greg uh, presenting at my first saver. Um, you're all getting your plates in front of you and I just wanna make sure that everybody's got their plate and it's going in the same direction. Okay, yeah, so we're gonna be going left to right and we are, can get some beer poured right away. Our first beer, get something in your glass. Um, but what we did tonight was um, we started with the beer. Greg chose uh, the four beers that he wanted to present, and he'll tell you about them. They're all collaboration beers. And I tasted them and chose the cheeses for them. And as we go through, I'll, um, Greg will explain the beers to you first, and then I will you know, tell you about the cheese that you're about to have with it and why I chose it. But as you go through these pairings tonight, um, feel free to you know, try others than the pairing that, that uh, we made for you. So you're not gonna be able to hold on to your beer, you're gonna have to dump each time. But as you taste each beer, try it with, I might suggest some of the other cheeses that might work well with it. Let me just say a few words um, before we leap into the actual tasting about how I go about doing this little dance of cheese and beer. First of all, I really let the beer be the driver because I think that's the, what I want to protect. Um, the, the, cheese, the beer rarely changes the cheese, but the cheese really can change the beer. So I want to kind of protect the beer. And the things that I look for, I really kind of break the beer down into its chief components. And at the risk of oversimplifying, for me those are hops and malt and alcohol and the yeast and the carbonation. So those five things are really for me the drivers and I'm gonna, when I taste a beer, I'm gonna think, what is the thing that's coming across first? Is it hoppy, it primarily hoppy? Is it more malty? Is that the first thing that comes across? Is it pretty high in alcohol? Is that the first thing I notice? Uh, high in carbonation or not? Um, and uh, what's the fifth thing I missed? The ye you know, is it a, a yeasty, uh, you know, Belgian style beer? Is the yeast really showing? And those are gonna drive my cheese choices. So as you taste tonight, see if you agree. Um, when you taste the beer, think of what's kind of jumping out at you first. Um, and for me, if it's super malty, that leads me in one direction, cheese-wise. If it's uh, the hops that I'm noticing first, that's gonna leave me, lead me in another direction, and so on. So are, let's, are we have, do we have some beer coming out? Some of you have. It's <laughs> this lucky table, <laughs> this is the lucky corner. It's like the front of the plane, you know. <laughs> you should have sat over here. So, okay. Greg, do you want to say a few words about this collaboration process, how that happens while they're waiting for their beers? I'd be glad to. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, yeah, collaboration beers. Uh, we, we've been doing for a number of years now, and of course, it, it's, it's like it seems. It's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity for a bit of a mashup. It's an opportunity to uh, go in directions you would never anticipate going otherwise. Uh, we, we certainly have lots of creativity in our, our brewery, but um, it, it's fun to get together with friends in the industry and, and I know as a, as a beer enthusiast, uh, I always kind of look at collaborations so we, you know, and, and wonder to myself, well, I wonder what, you know, when you pair that guy or that brewery with this, this brewery, you know, what they'll do. Um, I always loved it in, in the world of music when some of my favorite musicians who maybe were, you know, taking very different approaches and style, stylistically got together and collaborated. And um, sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's, really horribly mediocre, like, I don't know, Damn Yankees or something. And then, uh, <laughs> and it's the nuge, so disappointing on that one. But um, and, and, but sometimes it can be a beautiful thing. And uh, so there was, this is an exercise in um, what ifs and why nots and what the hells. Uh, so in this particular one, um, I'll give you a little backstory on uh, the, the acronym BUFF. Um, it stands for Brewers United for Freedom of Flavor, and it's a it's an informal organization that, that Sam uh, Calgioni of Dogfish and Bill Kowaleski of Victory and I started back in 2003, back when uh, craft beer really wasn't getting the, the notice, uh, the notoriety that it is today, and, and we're largely being ignored in the media, at least mainstream media. Um, certainly the, the beer enthusiast media was there. We decided to write a manifesto uh, and, uh, and get together and have a, a press conference in Boston um, talking about the manifesto and how things needed to change in the world beer and so on. Um, well, uh, the short story is that um, we had our, our press release or a press conference and uh, one person showed up. Uh, it was uh, Jamie McGee of uh, Yankee Brew News. I actually saw him here last night. Um, and uh, so that was sort of a short-lived uh, you know, organization, this buff, Brewers United for Freedom of Flavor. So um, a few years ago at the GABF, Sam and Bill and I ended up being in the same uh, proximity at the same time, which is kind of a challenge in a festival like that. And we decided that we needed to actually get together, re reform buff and, and, and brew a beer. Um, this one came about as a result of uh, conversations. We just started throwing out, hey, what about doing this and what about doing that? And uh, Sam said, uh, you know, what about a Saison style? And, and I'm a fan and, and we really hadn't done much in that regard. And in fact, none of the breweries had, had you know, done a lot of, uh, in the Saison arena. So we immediately picked up on that. And, you know, I said, and I said, Sam, I'm always wondered what would happen if you, if you brought Sage into a Saison, because I, I love Sage in beers. And that started the conversation. So the bottom line, this ended up um, having, being brewed with uh, parsley, uh, sage, rosemary, <laughs> and lemon thyme. Uh, so uh, you get a lot of uh, really great aromatics uh, from this. And it's a, it's a very fun beer. We've actually uh, brewed this one twice. We brewed it um, in the spring of 2010 and then again in the spring of 2012. So this is uh, last year's and, and we're anticipating uh, brewing it again in 2014. So we might, we might, we're not committing to anything, but we might do an every two year um, uh, and each brewery uh, brews uh, a version of this beer. Uh, for this one, 
All the uh, botanicals, the parsley, sage, and rosemary, and lemon thyme, all came from Stone Farms, our small organic farm about eight miles uh, north of our brewery in Escondido. So with that, uh, I'd like to offer up a cheers to everybody. Cheers. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to dive in into the, the cheese knowledge pool, Janet. Okay. Well, our first cheese, the one on the left, this is the palest cheese that you have. This is from Vermont, and it's a Cremont. It's their newest, one of their newer cheese, cheeses. It's a, a, a double cream, which means they take, um, in this case, it's goat's milk that they start with, and they add cow cream to it to make it richer. So it's a higher fat cheese, and I think you're going to find that it's very palate coating, very creamy and silky, and there's a little bit of a sour kind of, kind of a cultured milk tang. Do you get that at the end? Kind of like sour cream or creme fraiche. This comes from the cultures that they add uh, to, the, to the milk. It's, this is a cheese that um, is known as a, as a bloomy rind cheese. You can't see the whole thing, but you can maybe see that little bit of soft rind on the outside, which is um, very edible. You can eat this whole, whole cheese. I think we're, are we missing beer over here? Um, so, you know, to me, what the sort of main qualities of this cheese are that it's creamy, and it's it's a gentle cheese. It's not a big, you know, it's not a big monster cheese. It's kind of a, a summer cheese, lightweight on the on the spectrum of you know uh, mild to strong. I would say it's a milder cheese. And the reason I love it with the saison, which one of the things that jumps out to me about that saison is the brisk carbonation to it. It's really um, very vigorous in that, you know, bead, that bubble. It really is palate cleansing, and I love the way it scrubs the creaminess off your tongue. So for me, this is one thing I love to do, is pair a very high carbonated beer with a very creamy cheese. And I think that's, you know, one of the, what's pleasing about this match. Um, it's also, for me, this cheese, do you find a little mushroom note to it? Yeah, it's got usually, especially the riper it gets, the more mushroomy, more mushroomy it gets. And I think these, this herbaceous beer, it's almost like if you were, you know, sautéing a pan of mushrooms, what would you put on there? Well, you might put in some parsley and some sage and maybe a little rosemary, maybe a little thyme. So it's kind of a nice echo or a nice um, flavor link, the, the mushroomy note with the herbaceousness of the beer. Um. And for those who are listening at home later, because um, this is being recorded, uh, do try this at home, right, guys? What do you think? <laughs> um, you, you came in with some cred, Janet, but I'm going to say beer and cheese pairing cred plus 500 points right there. Okay. <laughs> you know, another thing that I think doesn't get said enough when you talk about beer and cheese matching is... It's just the context. You know, what time of day is it? What's the weather? What's the season? What's the moment like? And for me, this Saison is a beer that you would have on a hot day like today. It's very refreshing. And it's the kind of beer that's really, um, you want to, you know, drink it maybe a little faster than you should. And it's just, it's a, it's a very, you know, crisp and refreshing beer for a hot day. And I think um, this, this cheese also is that kind of, it's the cheese you would have you know, it's, it's not a super um, uh, cold weather kind of cheese. It's really, I think, a warm, a warm weather kind of cheese, and they match up on that, on that level as well. Sh shall we get the, another beer poured? I, I think that sounds like a fantastic idea. 
If, um, yeah. Um, please protest loudly, everybody, okay. if you don't agree with that. <laughs> so in general, I think these saisons are great matches for the bloomy rind cheeses. If you think of things like brie and camembert that have the white rind, and those, they have kind of buttery notes and mushroom notes, and they're very creamy. They're great matches for saison. So if you're looking for a cheese, just kind of a go-to pairing for a saison with a cheese, think of something in that brie and camembert camp. Um, by the way, I, I did a little negotiating before we started, before everybody walked in the room, and I was able to um, negotiate that uh, you guys can get uh, retastes on some of the beers if you ask for it. So we have, um, you know, basically, we're just going to be staying up here drinking all night. Um, well, or, or at least a retaste here and there. Yeah, so... Before it gets too rowdy, <laughs> which is, a, I, know, I know the volume's gonna rise as this <laughs> session goes on, I have to, um, I'd love to let you know that what you, you all have in front of you, a little um, card about my new book, and an order form, because uh, I will be, after this session, I'll be at the American Cheese Society table. Please come by and have some great American cheese. And I have copies of the book there. You can take a look at the book. And if you like it, you can fill out the order form. And I can ship you the book after the festival. With, um, and I will pick up the shipping. So that's what that card is. Um, there's an order form that you can fill out and give to me when at either after the session or at the um, conference at the cheese, cheese table. Okay. All right. This, this uh, next beer is a, a beer called... Um, the oh I was uh, oh here it is in front of me yeah evil twin Stillwater Stone the perfect crime black smoked saison and uh, it's it's pretty much like it it sounds um, anybody know Yeppe of uh, of evil twin he's got a, a bar here in New York called Torst and um, he's a, a Danish uh, guy and he's a, the uh, twin brother um, of a guy named uh, Mikkel. Um, from of uh, McKellar fan uh, fame, um, and uh, and then Brian uh, Strumke of uh, Stillwater Artisan Ales. Both of them are uh, what you know what you call a uh, uh, gypsy brewers, and uh, they found their their uh, gypsy selves over to Escondido uh, last year, and we we brewed this beer, and it's it's a really fun one. Um, and by the way. Uh, Instead of just being a one-way conversation from Janet and me to you guys, let's have it two-way. So if you know if you want to have a question, um, please. Uh, well, there we go. Yes. Should we be having the? Are you asking if you should have the cheese first and then the beer, or the beer first and then the cheese? And the answer is most decidedly yes. <laughs> now, Janet, what do you think? Because I actually I really tend to uh, like to dispense with a lot of pretense um, because, uh, you know, when you have great things like this, I, I don't find that there's really a wrong answer. Well, but you're, you're, yeah, I'd like to hear what you said. I differ slightly. I, I think I like to have the beer and then the cheese and then I go back to the beer because what I'm trying to do, as I said, is sort of protect the beer. So I'm trying to see how the cheese affects the beer. I don't use my own experience is that the beer doesn't usually change your perception of the cheese. It's kind of like a dance and the cheese is really 
the stronger partner. It, it holds up and it doesn't change, but the beer can change. So I want to get to know the beer and then taste the cheese and then go back and see if the cheese changed the beer. That's what I'm, I'm looking for. And hopefully it just made it. I mean, it does, it does change it. I, I, I find oftentimes um, cheeses, especially that first cheese we had that was kind of tart and tangy. I mean, just tart, not really tangy. It's going to make a beer taste a little bit sweeter. Anytime you have those um, tart notes in a cheese, it, it can make a beer taste a little bit sweeter, which is sometimes a good thing and sometimes not what you want. So can you tell us a little bit more about, about, what's, about this beer? Um, sure, what would you like to know? <laughs> okay, I, you know, the smoked thing. Yep. I, I love um, this concept. I, I find it very, I find the smoke very subtle. And I wonder mm -hmm. how you do that. Well, we use actually a little bit of, uh, in this case, um, we use oaked smoked malt. Uh, we typically use uh, peat smoked malt for the stone smoked porter, which we've been brewing since 1996. Um, uh, in this case, uh, the oak smoked, we really like the, the characteristic to, that it brought. It's, it's very different than the peatiness. And, um, and we also use some uh, uh, debittered black malts, dark malts that, that uh, are similar to uh, some of the dark malts we use in a beer like the Stone Sublimely Self-Righteous Ale, which is... Uh, uh, a black IPA, um, and and you see so you get you know a, a modest amount of roasty notes from the malt, but not a lot of that big roasty um, uh, notes that you would typically get from the dark malts, and you get a little of that smokiness coming through. And and the idea was for it to be like a saison is, you know, a bit uh, on the effervescent and you know um, more modest in body uh, and very flavorful, a little bit spicy. But in a, in a in a package that's a, a black beer, I get a kind of fruity quality, especially at the end. I'm almost a raspberry kind of fruitiness, or cherry or raspberry, some kind of red fruit. And in fact, I, it, what comes to mind is kind of a chocolate-covered raspberry. And I think um, when I think of something like that, I think of coffee as a great accompaniment. So what you have, the cheese that you have, you probably already tried it and you may you can see that it's got a lot of specks on on it <laughs> nor the cheese doesn't normally when you cut it when you get a wheel of this cheese and you cut into it it's not um speckled like that but when you do cut it up into cubes the um what's on the outside of the cheese gets on the inside this cheese is rubbed with coffee it's called barely buzzed and it's rubbed out it's a cheddar style cheese and it's rubbed outside with coffee grounds and lavender see if you can pick up the lavender but I, I really think the coffee um, comes all the way through and is such a nice complement for the maltiness of the, um, of the beer. Yes. Okay. So the question is, what parts did each of the brewers or the, each company do to, uh, what, what do they bring to the collaboration? And, and frankly... There, there isn't really an exact answer to that. I, I look at, I can uh, analogize um, brewing and, and recipe creation a lot to, to, to songwriting. Um, you know, sometimes you have the, the lyric first, sometimes you have a melody first, sometimes you have a rhythm. Um, sometimes it's uh, written by one person and you, know, you sort of bring it into the band and sometimes it's a jam session. And you just sort of, you know, start playing, if you will. 
and uh, it, it just develops naturally. And that's how this uh, particular one was done. It was just, a, and also with the Cezanne de Buff, it's just a conversation, start shooting up ideas, and, and you, you play off of each other. Um, I didn't directly participate in, in this particular recipe. I did in the Cezanne de Buff. Um, but, you know, you, you, one person says something and, you know, it triggers. Oh, that'd be great. And then if we do that, how about if we did this? Right, and other, other collaborations can be like that, where one brewer might do one specific thing and then send it on to another brewer. And, and uh, again, you could song, we could write a song that way, right? Um, so uh, we, we uh, haven't done any in that particular style, we've, uh, but we have, with, with the Saison de Buff, we have um, sort of recorded it at each one of our breweries. So we, we brewed it, you know, each, each time at the three different breweries. And it did, it did sound, I'm going to take this analogy further, right? It did sound different, did taste. There is some definite differences to it. Yes, sir. Um, with the collaborations, we don't tend to test batch. The question is how many test batches. Um, we tend to just uh, uh, put it all into the mix, into the recipe, and, 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 and brew the damn thing. <laughs> and, and, and it is what it is. Uh, and, and what you can do, though, however, is we uh, generally make more than one batch. Um, so what we'll do is we'll, we'll brew it, and then we'll taste it, and then we might make some small tweaks, and then we blend those together to you know, affect the, the small changes we might think that uh, we want uh, as a result of the, of the tasting session. Cool. Let so me tell you, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about this cheese that you had the, um, I, it, that I said was covered with coffee grounds. This is from Utah. <laughs> uh, artisan cheese is being made in virtually every state in the country. Who knew that you know, we had great cheese coming from Utah? But this um, is a cheddar-style cheese that was created maybe four or five years ago um, by uh, Beehive Cheese Company. They're cheddar producers. And it's kind of a funny story because one of them has a brother-in-law who's in the coffee business. So they just had, uh, in their retail shop, in addition to selling cheese, they were also selling their brother, the brother-in-law's coffee. And on a slow day, they got out some coffee and were just messing around, and they decided to put some on the outside of the cheese and age it. And so this is what happened, and they called it Barely Buzzed, and it became a huge hit. So Barely Buzzed, I think, is one of the world's great beer cheeses, especially for malty beers. And I hope you'll hold on to this you know, don't eat it all because we're going to have a cheese later, the last, a beer later, the last beer that I think is also going to be a great match for Barely Buzzed. So hold on to some of that, to some of that cheese. It's aged um, uh, maybe about six months. It's a very mellow cheddar. I think if it were, do you find it tangy? For me, it's not particularly tangy. It's pretty mellow cheddar. And I think that's why it goes so well with, um, with this malt because with malty beer, it doesn't throw it off balance by being tangy. And I love the coffee thing. There are actually, I think, few things that you can't add coffee to and not uh, just have a great result. Um, I, I, earlier, I was at an event in a little, a great little uh, bar up in the uh, Upper East Side called the Pony Bar, and they, and they had some of our special beers on tap. And one of those is the, uh, a, a version of our Stone Sublimely Self-Righteous with espresso beans. And, uh, boy, is that just a lock. But, you know, I've had... I've had uh, coffee, uh, you know, 
uh, seared tuna, you know, that's been uh, rubbed in coffee, and I've had different meats that have been rubbed in coffee, and, and certainly beers, and now this is the first cheese that I've had with it. Desserts, you know, very easy, you know, cheesecakes with uh, some, some coffee into the, into the cracker crumb uh, uh, crust. Um, so coffee is a pretty beautiful thing, besides the fact that just, you know, like a pint or two every morning black. Uh, <laughs> I think it's in, if any of you still have um, some of the Cremant, I'm seeing some empty plates, but if any of you still have the Cremant and try it with the, uh, um, with the second beer and the smoked Saison, and I, to me this is an example of a not very good match because that tangy cheese, tart, the tart cheese, the, that cultured milk taste, it doesn't go very well with malt. So I, I, when I tried it, I thought, this is not pleasing me very much. It's an example of a match that's not so great. So I think we can get our third beer poured. Is that, I think it's, it's is that mostly happening? Mostly it's oh, got okay. around. Is that happening? The third beer is, is a lot of fun. Um, so, so this beer is, uh, was brewed with our friend uh, uh, Chetel, uh, Chetel Jacun of the Brewery in uh, Norway, in Grimstad. There will be a test later. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it, the, the, it's really hard to say it right, and no matter how often I try and have uh, Chetel repeat it, that, that Norwegian e sound, e. The O with a slash through it is evidently uh, an ooh, Yeah, I'm doing my best, brothers and sisters. I, I, um, so it's it's and um, and Jolly Pumpkin from Dexter, Michigan. Uh, Ron Jeffries, famous for his his sour uh, beer styles and uh, spontaneously fermented beers. Uh, and uh, we, we created this uh, special holiday ale. It's a it's a really fun beer. We we included ingredients from each of our locales. So uh, we brought some Southern California sage to the mix, and uh, uh, there were juniper berries um, as uh, one of the elements from uh, Norway, and then uh, from, from Michigan, um, chestnuts, chestnuts from Michigan. And we also used uh, some rye uh, in, in, the, uh, in the recipe because we really wanted the mash to be as difficult as possible. What form are the chestnuts in? Are, were you talking about fresh chestnuts or chestnut flour or? Uh, we we actually, uh, it was it was not. Guy, uh, oh boy. Damn it! Okay. Don't ask me All questions right. like that, Janet. <laughs> Sorry, that's I'm, I'm trying to beer yeah. maker. Well, and again, you know, I participated in that one, but I didn't create. Mm -hmm. Mitch Steele um, was the guy on the stone brewing side of the equation that took the active participation. I took the ceremonial position, uh, participation, which meant showing up and drinking beer. So, so I'm usually perfectly fine with that part as well. Um, so I'm trying to jog the memory banks. I, I, whether they were roasted chestnuts or not, um, I don't recall, I'm afraid. Oh, but I'm man. sure you can pick it up in the flavor profile, right? You, can you tell me right now with that, that palate of yours, Janet? This to me is like liquid fruitcake. This is so delicious. It just immediately makes me think of Christmas and the holidays and cold weather and a fire. And we're kind of creeping up in the alcohol. This is 8.5%. So, um, you know, for me, I, I didn't mention this initially, but another kind of main principle of matching 
beer and cheese or uh, matching any kind of food and a beverage, is in, it's matching up intensities. So you want light with light and you want rich with rich or heavy with heavy, you know, intense with intense. And goodness, we've really gotten into the, you know, much more intense end of the beer spectrum here. So um, everything is just much more concentrated here. And so we need a much more concentrated cheese. And we actually have a cheese tonight that I haven't tasted before. This is called um, Pleasant Ridge Reserve, which I've had Pleasant Ridge Reserve many times, but I've never had a Pleasant Ridge Reserve extra aged, which is what you have. Um, Pleasant Ridge Reserve is from Wisconsin. It's probably one of the most awarded American cheeses. It's, um, it's like a triple crown winner. It's won best of show three times at the American Cheese Society competition, which is just unheard of. Um, it's, a, it's a farmstead cheese, which means that the, the cheesemakers have their own cows. So they have full control, they have their own milk, and they make this beautiful, um, what's called an Alpine-style cheese. It's kind of like a Gruyere or a Conte. Actually, it's modeled after a French cheese called Beaufort. And they just do a beautiful job with it. And normally, they release it at about um, eight months, eight to ten months. You, this one is two years old. So they, um, it's a special gift to us, and I've never had a two-year-old um, Pleasant Ridge Reserve, but I can just expect... It, it, it basically intensifies the pungency a bit, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Because what happens over two years of aging, it's, you just lose moisture. You, know, you lose a lot of water, so everything else gets more concentrated. Um, it gets drier, it gets more intense, it gets more savoriness. Um, and um, the salt, you know, the per percentage of salt comes up. Right, you get a little bit of a crystalline texture, yeah, in, 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 mm -hmm. which I which I love. This is a, a, a delightful cheese. Um, I, I've had the Pleasant Ridge many times too, and we regularly serve it on our menu. I, I think it's a terrific cheese. Um, what you know? When do you think that uh, American uh, artisanal cheesemakers really sort of arguably? stepped up, not just as an individual cheesemaker here or there in the United States, but maybe sort of collectively stepped up to really be holding our own um, as we do now against the European, not against, of course, but, you know, with, with the European artisanal cheeses. Well, it's really, a, you know, kind of a, um, you know, it's, it's an ongoing thing. And every year I think we get more and more credibility as in the American artisan cheese world. Every year we do better and better in international competitions. And I know that uh, these days, some American cheeses are being sold in Europe, which is kind of the ultimate, you know, uh, applause. <laughs> they're, um, the, even fr in France and in Italy and in London, they're buying these American cheeses and appreciating them. So that's kind of the ultimate pat on the back. And it's hard, you know, I just think it's been a gradual thing over the last 10, 15, 20 years. And um, they just, I, there, we've crossed a peak, I think, to where now I no longer have to be kind of apologize for them and say, well, it's delicious, but it's not French, or it's delicious, but it's not as good as the Italian. They're every bit as good as, as um, their European counterparts. This cheese, I, to me, this is my favorite match yet. I, how, how many of you would agree that this... I mean, this is a great match. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that, I don't want to stack the deck. That was you agree with. I don't with. want to stack the deck. But this is, I just think this is sublime because the nut, it's, the cheese gets really nutty. And the, and the beer has that, I think, a kind of a nutty quality from 
those chestnuts. Like, like <laughs> us. <they> <laughs> But it's also just that issue of matching intensity with intensity. We have a question here. How would the cheese have been different at a month um, or younger? Um, this cheese, when it comes out at eight months, is absolutely delicious. But what happens over time is it just gets, it's going to get a little drier. It's going to get those little crystalline bits that Greg mentioned. Those are pro protein crystals that develop with time. Maybe you've had them in Parmigiano-Reggiano. And um, it just gets more... Uh, more. You know, familiar with more and more. It's more and more. <laughs> Are you familiar mm -hmm. with the word umami? The mm -hmm. Japanese term umami, which is that uh, the fifth savory taste. Wouldn't you say this cheese is really high in umami? Yeah. It's very intense. It's kind of like eating a dry-aged steak. Uh, something that just is... It's, it's, very, that, it comes from glutamates, it's, and it comes with age. So it just gets more and more savory and more concentrated. And that's why I think it's so great with this beer, which is, you know, intense and high in alcohol. We brewed this in. I love all these great questions. When, the questions when the special holiday uh, was brewed. I love these questions that really just make me kind of look back, roll my eyes up look at the ceiling and see if I can recall. Um, I did not have the beard then, so it was pre-beard, but that's not that long ago. It's only about, it's less than two years uh, um, of, of beardism here going on here. Um, I think it was 2009. I'm pretty certain it was 2009. And we went to um, Norway and uh, we also uh, brewed a collaboration uh, beer with our friends at BrewDog on that same trip. And we uh, recorded a, uh, a, a documentary. We took a, a, a filmmaker along with us because we thought it would be kind of awesome. And we recorded a, uh, a, a documentary that's called uh, Stone Skips Across the Pond. And you can, it's on Vimeo and you can, uh, you can search it. And it's a very fun, we, we had a blast. Uh, we brewed a, a beer with BrewDog called Basha uh, at that time. If you still have, um, before you dump this um, holiday ale, you might skip ahead just a little bit and have it with a taste of the blue, because that's going to be another great match, I think. Um, this kind of beer is really great with blues, and it's also really great with goudas, the aged goudas that get kind of caramel notes or butterscotchy notes. They're so great with these spicy beers. So that's another direction you can go in. And surprisingly, triple cream cheeses are really good with these highly alcoholic spicy beers. You like it with the blue better than with the um, Pleasant Ridge. I hope all, uh, I'm seeing some nods. So uh, don't um, fail to try it also with the blue. You know, and this is a kind of, you know, this is, to me, a kind of special occasion beer. It's a winter beer, uh, kind of a late night beer. It's a great dessert beer, New Year's Eve beer. It's a dessert beer, and it's a time to bring out um, a cheese that's kind of a desserty cheese. So that's why I think of the aged goudas or the blue cheeses. 
So this, uh, this last beer here is uh, the Ken Schmidt Iron Fist Stone Mint Chocolate Imperial Stout. Ken Schmidt is a home brewer that lives in San Diego, and every March we have a homebrew competition. And uh, th this was, we had to create a new rule for Ken, uh, or because of Ken, because he won twice. And now we've decided that, okay, only one person, you know, you can only win once here going on forward. Um, that Ken had won before for his uh, coconut, macadamia nut, uh, Kona coffee uh, uh, stout. So, um, yeah, which was a, a, a favored beer amongst many. And also a beer, uh, great if you want to take a lot of time doing a runoff. Um, because the mash gets stuck, got stuck. Um, so anyways, uh, he won a, a, a competition, and interestingly enough, he used um, mint, uh, mint chocolate uh, extract, like, you know, that you would put into your, your coffee. Um, and, well, we don't do that at Stone, because we're kind of uh, fanatics about only using natural, you know, unprocessed ingredients. So we had to then create that because you could with with those even though it's it was a natural you know extracts, we had to try and create that create that you know without the going in that route, um, and we actually did end up finding some some um, natural uh, extracts versus sort of the, the the normal processed junk yeah yeah the, um, that can sometimes can taste really good. Uh, and we used a lot of mint from Stone Farms, and we used um, cocoa nibs, chocolate liquor, and it, it's a, quite a nice result. Um, um, yes, sir. Uh, we brew this on our uh, full 120-barrel system, and we probably, um, I, I would think, if I recall correctly, we probably did three, three brews, so 360 barrels worth. So, you know, quite a bit, and uh, we're, we're now distributed in 37 states, so that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, a lot of area to, to share uh, beers around with. Yes, sir. Has there ever been a collaboration that didn't make it to market? Uh, no, actually, there hasn't been. Uh, yeah, I mean, if we're going to do something that, that, you know, sucked, we wouldn't do it in the first place. <laughs> I mean, sure, you could have a brewing mistake go on, but, but we try to avoid those, and we've been mostly successful. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, we, is this sold in New York? And uh, yes, we've actually did sell it in New York, but this uh, beer came out a, a year ago. So um, if you didn't get in a year, you're pretty much out of luck now, except right here at this very moment. So, um, but, you know, Twitter feed, Facebook feed, newsletter, email newsletter, it's your choice on how you'd like to get the information through. We do send it out there. You just, you know, can choose to listen or not, <laughs> as you see fit. Well, wow. This is like Kahlua, the Kahlua of beer. <laughs> it's just so... <laughs> rich and chocolatey and desserty and delicious and it needs a really big cheese and you know that's kind of the um no-brainer would have been to put it with barely buzzed the cheese that had the cocoa outside i mean the coffee outside but that would have been to me kind of like a double whammy um and i thought it would be more interesting to bring in another element so I, i'm pairing it with um 
with a very new blue cheese. I, I'd be really surprised if any of you had had this blue because it was just introduced a few months ago on the West Coast. It's called one of the greatest farms ever, one of the most beautiful farms ever. You've been there? Yeah. Their, their um, first blue cheese is, is, this is from Point Reyes Farmstead. You may know their Point Reyes original blue, but you probably don't know this cheese, which is new. It's called Bay Blue. They were trying to create something that was much more mellow than original blue. And uh, it's, it's modeled after Stilton, or I would say inspired by Stilton. So it's meant to be more nutty and buttery and not so pungent. Don't you find it just like, it just dissolves on your tongue. It's like blue cheese frosting, kind of. It's really creamy and mellow and buttery. And I think it just, it, it, it has a silkiness that really complements um, the silkiness of the beer. And it's just, you know, a dessert cheese with a dessert beer. And you know, with a blue, you need something that's intense, that's got some alcohol and some viscosity and some, you know, spice to it. And I just find this kind of a dreamy match. Yes. Uh, he's asking what would be a more a traditional pairing with a big pungent blue, um, like maybe, uh, you know, a, a, some of the Spanish blues are really very peppery and pungent. Um, I like barley wine, where you really get into some high alcohol. And, and even, you know, imperial stouts, imperial porters, where you have uh, viscosity and alcohol and strength, I think that can go with, um, with the more piquant blues. This blue being so mild can go, it doesn't really need a lot of alcohol. It could go with, you know, just a regular stout or a regular porter. Um, it's... It can, but the more when you get into peppery pecan blues, you need more strength. <laughs> so, how, how many folks have been to Savor before in DC? Well, oh, maybe a third of the room. That's terrific. Well, we're, we're thrilled to have it here in, in New York for the very first time. And uh, if you weren't here last night uh, and you haven't been down to the floor last night uh, yet, you're, you're going to love it. Uh, there's a lot of fantastic uh, beers down there waiting for you, and uh, the brewers are at the stands. And it's a great pleasure to be able to, to bring the show to New York City, which uh, many consider to be the, the culinary capital of the United States. Uh, I recently learned it's not Escondido, California. Um, as I had thought. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, you know, th this is uh, such a great event. And, you know, we've, we've, you know, together we've kind of helped spread this message that, you know, that the United States isn't this lowly, you know, uh, second-class citizen of the world when it comes to beer, and of course with, with cheese. And, and I bet pretty much everybody in the room has known that and has known that for quite some time. But the broader populace, right, is still learning. And there's also a lot of people in media and a lot of people in the culinary world that haven't really uh, had their, their, the light bulb over their head turned on. So we, we wanted to come to New York with Saver and help bring the light bulb to them, so to speak. And this, uh, this event has been very successful with that. We've gotten a lot of very nice attention from the media and the culinary scene in New York with the event so far, and, and this, you know, uh, the second night is just beginning. So uh, I want to thank all of you because 
Uh, a lot of people traveled from all over uh, the United States and actually some people internationally specifically to come to Savor. And you guys, are, your support of events like this is, of course, it's what make, makes it possible. But I want you to really realize that you are helping to thrust this movement forward by your active participation. It's, uh, and, and so I feel always just humbled and grateful to be a part of this great movement of craft beer. I think that craft beer is a part of the artisanal food movement. As Garrett Oliver has so uh, articulately said, uh, when it comes to you know the, the, the cheeses and the breads and the coffees and the beers, this is really a return, return to normalcy, right? We're, we're slowly pulling ourselves out. Um, well, a lot of hooligans next door. What the hell was I saying? <laughs> Clearly, I was being too serious. So yeah, but you know, it, it's it's just I feel humbled and, and proud to be a part of it. Um, you know, we're pulling ourselves out of this morass of lowest common denominator and low expectations, and it, it, this industrialized notion, this industrialized facsimile of food and drink, and so. This, this, we, we got to keep it forward, and, and uh, you know, as much as the culinary world hasn't, it, you know, has been slow to recognize craft beer, I think we can also say that in many cases, we got to make them wait for it. We got to make them wait for it. And in, um, in many cases, uh, craft beer has been slow to recognize other parts of the artisanal world, like cheeses and breads, and actually just real food. So they're, yeah, they're still waiting for it. So uh, what do you think? Um, you, you guys ready for, to give it to them? Okay. That's how about a, a, okay. a one, two, three. Yeah! Let's thank Greg Cook and Janet Fletcher. Thank them for their knowledge and passion. Let's give them another round again. And let's thank you for being here at Savor and at this Savor Salon. Let's give yourselves a hand. And thank all our supporters, including Manhattan Beer Distributors and Spiegelow for the beautiful glassware. And thank you again. Another cheer. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2013, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2013, as well as all the salons from previous years at craftbeerradio.com slash savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.